Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's Best of Risk episode, you'll hear Morgan Jones Phillips. Why? 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 Why do I do all the penis calls? That and more. But before that, I just want to say this holiday season, Sock Club is delivering the perfect gift experience quality American-made socks that are sent straight to your loved one's door, featuring different designs and a personal note every month. This is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. I've received these Sock Club socks. I've been getting compliments for them. They fit beautifully. They're so comfortable. The designs are, are so cute. Go to SockClub.com and get 15% off using the discount code RISK at the checkout. Give Sock Club this holiday season. And speaking of holidays... With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. It will be packed with so many people, you'll want to scream, so use stamps.com instead. You use your own computer and printer to print your U.S. postage for your letters and packages. We use stamps.com. Why don't you use stamps.com? Right now, get this special offer when you use my promo code RISK. It's a no-risk trial, and we know that's just confusing. <gasps> Plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus off for the digital scale. And free postage. Go to stamps.com before anything else. Click the mic on the homepage and type in RISK. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Boozu Baju behind me now. And this is the best of Risk number 11. Every four or five months, we do one of these best of compilations. It's a great way to introduce friends to the show. You know, when people are like, where should I start? These best of episodes are the perfect place to start because, you know, they're all over the map. Funny stories, sad stories. A lot of the stories that have gotten the biggest reaction in the past several months. Now, as always, we can't fit some of the most popular stories because some of them are, you know, way, way, way too long. There's J.P. Michael's story called A Hard Landing on the episode called Lovesick. 
think that's over a half hour long. And there's Unbreakable by Melanie Hamlet on an episode of the same title. Those got huge reactions. Definitely check those out. Check all episodes of Risk out, but introduce these best of episodes to your friends the way you might introduce crack or heroin to them if you thought they're becoming addicted might make for a nice source of income for you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't get people addicted to crack or heroin, but do get people addicted to rask. Now, in a little bit, we are going to hear from the one and only, <laughs> the remarkably iconoclastic Shashi Muso. <laughs> but before that, we have the inimitable <laughs> T.S. Madison, the big dick bitch, our favorite trans porn goddess. But before that, this crazy story that was shared at our last Toronto show from a fella you can find online at emergencymonologues.com. Here's Morgan Jones Phillips with a story we call Say goodbye to my little friend. So I have been a paramedic uh, here in the city of Toronto for 13 years. I'm actually a field training officer, which means that I train uh, college students and I also train new paramedics and help them adjust to the job. And I like doing that because when I was new, I was not very good at the job. When I was new, I was very, very nervous. I was shy, I was insecure, I had very little confidence in my skills or in myself, and I really had a hard time building that up. So of course, this story happened when I was new. So this is like 13 years ago, and it's a night shift, and I am in a Chinese restaurant ordering some food when my pager goes off. And I look at my pager and it says, Bravo hemorrhage. Now a Bravo is what we call a medium low priority call. So it's not a lights and sirens type of response. And hemorrhage, someone is bleeding somewhere. But they're bleeding somewhere that is a non-life-threatening, low-priority place. Now, this, um, this doesn't leave this room. <laughs> but on occasion, if I've already ordered my food <laughs> and I get a medium-low priority call, I might wait for it to be ready. So I'm waiting for my food when I get an update. And the update comes across my pager and it says, male 37, feeling bored, cut off own penis 
and flushed it down toilets. <laughs> Two things went through my mind at that moment. The first was, fuck my food, I gotta go. The second was I was thinking back to college and I was imagining in school when we would do scenarios where we would simulate emergencies and we would prepare for our life on the road and we would do car accidents where someone broke an arm or needed spinal immobilization or was having a heart attack and had to be defibrillated or had anaphylaxis and was eating a Snickers bar. We never did someone cutting off their own penis. So I ran out to the truck, and my partner, Brian, Brian's been on longer than me, as I said, I was new. Brian's been on for a while, Brian's a cool guy, totally relaxed, together, he's sitting behind the wheel, and I run up to him, and I jump into the passenger seat, and I say, did you see the call that we have? And he says, yeah, 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 I saw Bravo hemorrhage, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Did you see the details on this call? And he says, I didn't bother looking. I pull up my pager. Male 37, feeling bored, cut off own penis and flushed down toilets. And he reacted in a way that I didn't expect. He starts pounding on the steering wheel and saying, why? 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 Why do I do all the penis calls? Because what I didn't know is that this was his first day back from stress leave from doing another call. He got a call for a man acting peculiar in an alley. We'll call this man Mr. Tinfoil Hat. So he, his partner of that day, Chris, and a cop walk into the alley to see Mr. Tinfoil Hat, and there he is, and he's like, no, the aliens, the aliens are coming to get me. The, the, the aliens, you, you gotta help me. The aliens are coming to get me. And Brian's cool. Brian's relaxed. Brian's like, that's, that's cool, brother. I'll take care of you. Don't you worry. Come to my ambulance. We'll talk about this. I'll take care of those aliens. Don't you worry. I'll protect you. It's cool. And the guy says, no, no, no. You, you don't understand. The, the aliens are coming to get me. They're, they're coming to get me. I got to get rid of the tracking device. I got to get rid of the tracking device. And he pulls, stay with me here. Let's all be zen and be in the moment here. <laughs> He pulls down his sweatpants, takes a broken light bulb, slices open his scrotum, and his testicle falls to the ground. So Chris, Chris and the cop jump on the guy. And my partner, Brian, rolls up the testicle <laughs> and takes the guy to the hospital. 
this is his first day back, getting back in the saddle, as it were, doing the job. Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh, penis testicle calls must be so rare on the job. After that call, any truck he was on, we would call the unit unit. Now, I did another call years later, which is another way of saying a couple years ago. And we did a call for a guy who, for medical reasons, and I'll be honest, I don't know and didn't care to find out, he had testicles the size of basketballs. And so both of them were basketball-sized and hung down to clear the ground by about an inch or two. And so we're taking him to the hospital. And as he starts walking, we can see that there's this pendulum effect with every step that he takes. And we can see with every step that he takes that his nutsack is swinging a little bit farther and a little bit bigger until at one point it's just gonna pull him off balance. And he's going to go crashing to the ground. So we don't want this to happen. So my partner and I line ourselves up on either side of him so that as the nutsack swings, it kind of hits us in the legs. <laughs> but keeps him from falling over. Anyway, so he walks over. He sits down on the stretcher. He kind of sits down. The nutsack is still hanging off the side. It's sort of, you know, again, clearing the ground by about an inch. And as I said, this is a couple of years ago, so I'm not new anymore. This is not my first day. Uh, I don't pull the seniority card very often, but I turned to my junior partner that day, and I said, you want to pick that up and deal with that? <laughs> anyway, so back to our story here. So we're driving lights and sirens through the city like only a couple of guys can on a mission to save another man's junk. <laughs> I want to just take a moment to just uh, mention that this call came in as a medium low priority call. <laughs> And at no point was it ever upgraded to be a more serious call. And this is something that I can only attribute to female call takers. Because I guarantee you, if a male was on the other end of that phone when they called 911, it would have been treated much more seriously. Anyway. So there we are, blazing around, when we get another update. And the update says, patient will meet you at George's Chicken House on Bathurst. <laughs> so my partner and I are having a brief discussion about doing this amputation call in a chicken house. When we get another update, dispatch is saying, patient has been advised to stay home and not go to George's Chicken House on Bathurst. <laughs> Which we think is sage advice. 
So we are blazing through and we get to his street and we pull up and we, I jump out of the truck and I run around the back and I'm pulling out the stretcher and I can hear a guy walking up the street kind of ranting and raving and yelling and it's the kind of neighborhood where uh, that it takes more than that to draw my attention and I can hear him and he's like, what are you doing waking up the neighbors with all, all your lights and your sirens and you're making all your noise? And I'm just ignoring him. And I'm pulling the stretcher out when he says something that gets my attention. He says, I told you to meet me at George's chicken house. (laughs) Sir, did you call 911? Yeah. Did you harm yourself this evening? Yeah, I cut off my penis. And, and where's that penis now? I flushed it down the toilet, and now my wife will never come back to me. I don't doubt that, sir. <laughs> So I put the stretcher back into the ambulance and I, and I take him around the side and we get into the, the back of the ambulance and now that it's better lighting, now I can see a little better and I got him standing up and he's in his late 30s and he's wearing a t-shirt and he's got sort of scruffy brown hair and he looks relatively normal and he's got black jeans on but I can see they're wet and I can see they're kind of glistening. And so I say to him, I say, sir, can you just take your pants down? And he says, sure. I mean, just like it's the normalest thing ever. Sure. Takes his pants down. I say, sir, can you, um, and, I, and I look at him and he's got a, he's, he's wearing a pair of tidy whiteies, but they're just like, they're just crimson. They're just red, just the entire things. And I say, sir, can you just take your underwear down? He says, sure. And so he, uh, first though, he, he pulls back the waistband and he reaches in and he pulls out a, a balled up sweat sock and it's just soaked in blood and he drops it on the ground. And then he reaches in and pulls out another. And then he reaches in and pulls out a third. And then he pulls his underwear down and I'm looking at it and it's just a big mass of of congealed blood and pubic hair and pardon the pun, but I can't make heads or tails of it. (laughs) And I'm kind of looking and I'm like, sir, can you show me where the end of your penis is? And I immediately regret those words. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, the end of your penis. Because it is the end of his penis. And I'm like, oh, sensitivity training much, Morgan? (laughs) But I say, and I'm like, can you show me the end of your penis? And he's like, sure. And so he lifts up a little nub that was before unseen by me. And as he lifts up this little nub, blood shoots out of it sprays across the entire ambulance and hits the back doors. My reaction. Put it back down, put it back down, put it back down, put it back down! 
I'm reaching off the shelf, I'm grabbing pressure dressings, I'm throwing them at him. Hold that on him, hold that on him, hold that on him. I go around to the front to, to, my, to my driver, who I notice Brian has never left the driver's seat this entire time. He's just been sitting there the whole time, just rocking in one place. And I just turn to him and I'm like, drive, drive, drive! And I'm setting up the stretcher and I'm putting sheets down and I'm putting soaker pads down and I'm getting him to come around and lie down and he seems very kind of surprised by the kerfuffle. He doesn't quite seem to know what all this activity is all about. And I get him lying down and I get him strapped in and wrapped in the sheet and, and now that's all kind of settled and I'm like, so, do you have any heart problems? <laughs> Any breathing problems like asthma? Are you diabetic? <laughs> High blood pressure? Stroke? Seizures? Cancer? I ready my pen with a click. Psychiatric or mental illness? <laughs> and he says, well, I get depressed sometimes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Do you take any medication for that? And he says, hmm. I used to take Paxil. Have you considered taking it again? So we're going off to the hospital, we're on our way there, we get there, uh, it's been quite uneventful, to be honest. We arrive, there's a, there's a male nurse and there's a female nurse, and we go in, and the female nurse uh, turns to him and says, what did you use to cut it off with? And I'll be honest, that question did occur to me, but I didn't ask it. And the reason I didn't ask it is I kind of answered it myself because I just thought to myself, who cares? It's gone. It's gone. But I make a note to myself that that is an important question and if I do another call for a man separated from his manhood, that I will endeavor to ask that question. And so she asks, what did you use to cut it off with? And he says, a Gillette Mach 3 razor. Which, at the time, I was using a Gillette Mach 3 razor. So I'm familiar with the Gillette Mach 3 razor. And it's one of these things where I didn't ask, but of course, the question went through my mind because I want to question the very definition of the word safety razor because I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he modified the blade somehow and then did it with a sideways swishing sort of or the alternative would be that he did it much like a, a vegetable peeler through a carrot and was more like and I don't know, and I probably never will, and the reality is it's probably not that important that I do. 
Anyway, so he answers a Mach 3 razor. And the male nurse turns to him and says, Mach 3, that's a good razor. (laughs) And the patient looks back at the male nurse and says, it's a very good razor. (laughs) So many years have gone by now uh, since that call and I have to say that I'm a much better paramedic now than I was then. Um, If you ever call 911 and I walk through the doors, don't worry, you'll be fine. But the job does change you, and it doesn't change you in the ways that you probably are thinking. Um, so yes, of course, it does change the fact that I have, uh, I have a very strong ability to ignore other people's pain and suffering. Um, <laughs> or uh, the fact that my colleagues and I can casually talk about rotting bodies while eating breakfast. But one of the things, uh, and this is true, that has changed is uh, since then, I have not shaved with a blade. (laughs) Thank you. Madison is one of the most successful trans porn company owners out there, and she is just such a wonderful, beautiful soul, just a hilarious joy in our lives. She has done so much that we've enjoyed so much. So without further ado, here is T.S. Madison, the big dick Thank you, Kevin, for that marvelous introduction. I'm not fucking you later anyway, bitch, okay? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I want to come tell you a story about something that happened to me in my life very, very long, well, not that long ago, because then y'all will figure out my age, but it's very long ago. I, uh, for a living, I've done a lot of stuff, okay? And a lot of things that I may not be proud of, but bitch, it bought me that big giant house I did in bitch. It bought me two Mercedes Benz's, bitch, so it did its job, right? Okay, now, 
when I go through life, what I like to tell people to do is be yourself. That's one of my taglines. You see it right there on that shirt, right there. Be yourself, bitch. That's one of my taglines. And I try to encourage people to be themselves so much because strange things could happen in your life. And even after you die. I was about 20 years old. And a friend of mine died that I went to school with. You know this story, don't you know this story? <laughs> friend of mine died that I went to school. He wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a friend of the ladies, you know, at, at, the, at the school, you know. And, and, and all the ladies used to talk about how handsome and fine and sexy and delicious and all this type of stuff he was. And he just up and perished. You know how when people just up and perish, you're like, well, how he died? You know, I wanted to say on top of me, but, you know, <laughs> but that wasn't the case, you know. And I'm living the South. I'm from the South. So being from the South, you know, we are Bible people, right? The Bible belt down there. And it's just, it's so crazy how we are the Bible belt and I end up having tits and a dick. Ain't that something? <laughs> I always knew that Christian kids, people of the cloth children, always end up sucking dick. <laughs> the girls and the boys, so. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the gentleman died. And when he died, everybody was running around trying to figure out how, like what happened, what happened to him? So being that I'm a queen, y'all know what queen is, right? Okay, well you definitely know what a queen is. <laughs> being that I'm a queen, honey, you know we nosy, we nosy bitches. So a girlfriend of mine and I, myself, loaded up in the car, honey. You know, his funeral was Saturday. You can't keep black people out long, too long, honey. You know what I'm saying? You know, we can't keep them out too long, child, because the family will be fighting over the money. But anyway, we loaded up in the car, and we went to his services. So we sitting here in the back of the church, and we, we watching everybody come in. The casket is sitting up there all pretty and white, the big is sitting up there and you know the, the mom on the front row the girlfriend on this row honey the kids is crying everybody is just crying and crying it was a real sad occasion and I'm still trying to figure out how he died you know what I'm saying like I'm sitting there like how he died now me and him around about the same age I hope it ain't my time next you know but anyway so we sitting back here and everybody's just chilling and just trying to figure out how he died. Because, you know, that's just the big thing. How did this man die? So, all of a sudden, the doors of the church just blew open. Boof! We looked back, and it was the first thing I saw was hair. You see how this hair sitting up here on top of my head? The first thing I saw was hair sitting up to the ceiling, coming in through the door like this from the side. And when the hair came in, you didn't really get a chance to see the person. You just saw them holding themselves like this. And it was very much so, he took a good dick out of this world. I was like, what? You know, he took a good dick out of this world. I said, what? And she just kept coming from the back, hair to the side. Like, this was a stage performance, so I nudged my friend, like, girl, honey, are you sitting to the edge? Is this time for us to go, honey? Are they calling us out? So it just got louder and louder as she proceeded up to the goddamn casket. He took a good dick out of this world. 
He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. And I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Wait. Did this bitch just say what I think she said? And then, honey, you know, I guess I was the, not the only one that couldn't really understand what was coming out. So I guess the shit show and shenanigans just continue. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a, he took a, he, he, he took a good dick out of this world. So I'm like, oh my God, he took a good dick out of this world. Oh my God. Like, out of all the dicks that I have ever had in my life, why couldn't I have that one before he went on to the glory? You know, and then, listen, y'all. Now, listen, this is some true motherfucking tea. I'm telling y'all, this is some true tea. This bitch was ugly as fuck. This bitch was so ugly. I know y'all seen the movie Holiday Heart, right? Y'all seen that? Holiday Heart with Ving Rhames. It's up and drag, bitch. Up in drag, looking like two men and a baby with this wig sitting on top of her head, screaming and crying. Now see, mind you, this boy never touched any of the queens in the local neighborhood, never. Never touched them, felt like we were disgusting. Used to talk all kind of shit. Y'all some dudes, all y'all dudes. All y'all over there is dudes. I see y'all in the club, all y'all is dudes. So of course I was gonna go to your motherfucking funeral, bitch. You died first, bitch. The dude's still alive. But the gag of the matter <laughs> was we found out that you were really fucking a dude, bitch, when you were alive, okay? Because this was a man, this wasn't like a, it wasn't a beautiful queen like myself, bitch. This was a man, like a man man, like a hard steel man with a fuqua sitting on top of his, a wig or something on the head. Laying all down on the side of the casket. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick. He took a, he took a, he took a, he took a, he, he took a good dick out of this world. So I'm sitting there like, bitch, is that dick really that good? You would come all the way from wherever the fuck you came from and break this funeral up like that. How could you break a funeral up like that? So the baby stopped crying. The wife stopped crying. The mama stopped crying. Everybody is looking like, what the fuck is going on? And this queen was really putting on a stage performance, bitch. Y'all hear me? With the, he took a good dick. So I'm sitting there like, well, when is it gonna end? And she stood right up there to the front of everybody. He took a good dick out of this world! He took a good dick out of this world! He took a, he took a, he took, he, 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 he took a good dick out of this world! Rolled and went back and forth in front of the casket. I wanted to leave. I wanted to leave. No idea, bitch, I'm lying. I wanted to see what the fuck was gonna happen. Bitch, so the pastor is standing there. Now, you know this is Southern Baptist Church, bitch. This is Church of God and Christ type of church, y'all. Y'all already know them Church of God and Christ don't play none of that homosexual stuff. <laughs> this queen came in there and turned the motherfucking party, bitch. You hear me? <laughs> so my advice to men and women and down low men is please live your authentic truth. Let
your authentic truth and mind how you treat people in this life because you never know who may come to your funeral and turn that bitch out. I'm trying to tell you, cause see I learned something from that bitch that day. I'ma go fuck a bitch funeral up. He took a good dick, he took a good dick, he took a good dick out of this world. Thank y'all so much. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a he took a he 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 took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick out of this world. He took a good dick. He took a, 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 he took a good dick out of this world. That dick is really that good. This story begins when I'm 10 years old, in 1962, in a little suburb outside of Wichita, Kansas. My mother is on her third marriage, and we're moving to a brand new house in an isolated, new complex. No grass, no people, practically. And the selling point of the whole thing was that each doorbell played a different ten-note tune, like Strangers in the night are some enchanted evening. So here we are. I can't believe it. It's so desolate. School's going to start in a month. It's August. Every September, my mother has a nervous breakdown since she was 18 until the day she died. And I'm wondering, what am I going to do about sex? Now, you might think a 10-year-old wouldn't be thinking of this kind of thing, but When we were in Hawaii from six months old to six years old, by the time I was three, I'd become fascinated with the human body. By the time I was almost five, I was able to scale the trees outside the complex where we lived on the military base and watch people have sex through Venetian blinds. Thus, my dislike of Venetian blinds, because when they're in the wrong position, you can't see anything. So I'm now very aware through the window peeking and the study of naked bodies, what I like and it's penises. Even at that age, I was not ashamed. Five years old, I like penises. As a birthday present, my father takes me to the military base pool. Now I had been there often 
growing up, but this is the first time I really remember it. And oh, to my joy, the showers. See, I was tall for five, so I was at penis height. I was in penis heaven. And when I walked in, of course, I got an erection. And one of the first people near me, not my father, reached over, slapped my hard penis and said, Hey, boing, boing. Apparently, I had a reputation that even as a child, the minute I walked into that room of naked bodies, boing. So they were calling me boing. This was a discovery for me. So I was boing and I was going to continue on this journey. So, six years old, we leave. We go to Texas. Aha. This is when it really started. The Latino effect. Mm-hmm. Had a good time in Texas for four years. And then, third husband, we're moving back to Kansas. Kansas, 1962. The beehives, the hairspray, the polka dots, the, the new houses we were moving into, all different levels, the sunken living room, the kitchen with the picture window, all looking out onto mud. There we are. I'm missing penises already. What do I do? I go around and ring all the doorbells to all those fine little new houses with all those shiny Chevrolets with the fins out back. Some people answered. I got to know that there were maids. No kids, no handsome older gentlemen with a little wink in their eye, which I knew that wink, even by 10. I mean, I was young. I was 10, but I knew that look. That look is such a giveaway. So I gave up, and we sat down for our nightly ear cleaning. See, my mother had a tradition. You would lie on her lap and she would take the round end of a bobby pin and meticulously clean the wax out of your ears. She called this think time. This was a time to gather our thoughts and think deep into our lives. Of course, mind, mind was rambling with what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, you know? School doesn't start for a month, she's gonna go crazy any minute. And then I looked down on the coffee table and here's this local gazette and it says, Strong man escapes from jail by bending bars. That's it. And he's naked. He was arrested naked, escaped naked, is on the loose in our vicinity naked. Here it is. A naked man. Loose in our vicinity. This is so exciting. So I just keep looking at the news each day and a couple of days pass and they're now calling him the naked strangler. It seems that he has broken in early mornings into some of these new homes where there's a maid working and he seems to have a fetish about strangling them with the ironing cord. He doesn't kill them, he doesn't rape them, he just knocks them out and disappears. So I'm thinking, I have to find this guy, you know, because he was beautiful. He had long hair, lean, strong body. I thought, oh, this is for me. He has come to save me. He has come to satisfy my penis need. So through talking to maids, there was rumor that he was hide out in the old Catholic elementary school up the ridge by the quarry and the sand pits. In a few days... I leave early, tell my mother I'm going for a walk. I go up over the main road, through the trees. It's kind of a steep climb to that gorgeous old turret building, four stories high. Used to have a stone bridge that connected to the two buildings, which was no longer 
usable. It had broken down years ago. The rumor was that he was hide out in the part that was inaccessible, that he probably had a way to get in there. And I went into the accessible part of the building, and there on the top floor in the back was a window that looked on to the inaccessible, the home of the naked strangler. I was sure of it. And there was a beautiful green wooden plank. So I toppled it over to the building across, skimming on my knees over, and hesitated. I was a little nervous. I looked around. It was immaculate. No clothes, of course, but there were supplies. There was a neatly made bed, lovely quilt. He obviously took care of his trash. It was sort of like a priest's dwelling. I decided to pull the plank in with me, just in case somebody came. I don't know, I was so nervous. So I looked around, I looked around, and then I heard a noise outside. I looked down, and there he was going across the yard. So I thought, oh, he's coming back, so I had to put the plank back. But I put the plank back, and now I don't have a way to get back across. So he comes in, I swear that he was aware of me. Now, I had my little school pack with me, and, you know, I was lightly dressed, and, and I was getting very excited. I got to watch him move around. I'm sure he was aware of me. Oh, and he was naked. He was so naked and beautiful. He had gorgeous cock. It was, well, you know, by that time I had been so deprived. Uh, yeah, it was great. He then turned away, not looking at me yet, opened a can of peaches with a pocket knife, turned, looked straight at me, and began eating the peaches, the, the juice dripping from his lips into the can. He just looked at me. Then he looked me up and down. And remember, I'm 10. I took off my clothes. I took off my clothes and stood there. And of course, I got excited. And he just watched me finishing his can of peaches, licking his fingers, the juice, the syrup. And I just stood there. And he moved, and I jumped. And then he turned back around, looked at me, and threw the plank back over and gave me a sort of look with his eyes, like time to go. So I put my clothes on. My heart was racing so fast, and I was so happy. I mean, this was the start of a great relationship, I thought. <laughs> I thought, we're going to fall in love. We're going to run away together. I'm going to be a legend. Ten-year-old disappears with naked strangler. Maybe I become his accomplice. I didn't know. My heart was beating so fast. I got back home. I couldn't tell anyone what was going on. I spent the next few days, of course, getting the paper as soon as it came, and waiting for him to come because I was certain he was going to come and get me. That's the reason I was there. It was destiny. He was coming for me. Me and the naked man were going to run off together. That was going to happen. I knew it. So I would sneak across the floor and crawl under the kitchen table where you couldn't see me if you were standing up and look out the big picture window, which had no curtains, because I had seen footprints in the mud. And I knew someone had come and leased its clothes as a clothesline, so I was going to sit it out. Well, the second night of doing that under the kitchen table, my mother's feet passed by. My mother now had made vigil at the window. She would make herself a cup of black coffee, and she would stand watch, too. 
Not sure even today if she knew I was down there. But the two of us waiting for the naked man. Yeah, explained a lot about my mother. She was waiting for insanity and waiting for a new naked man. I, too, was waiting for the naked man. So, I guess a week or two had passed. There were periodic outbursts of his so-called violence, they called it, but I knew he was sweet. I had seen him in the flesh. He didn't harm me. He ate peaches, for God's sake. Well, this went on for a while, and then one night, I hear rustling out in the bushes. This is the only foliage. These were grown bushes they put in front of all the houses. Silly. But there he was. His face, his hands, pressed up against the screen window. So, of course, I instantly stood up, got an erection, made sure I was in the nightlight so you could see the full package. And then he disappeared. So I thought, i got to crawl out, see if he goes to the picture window. I'm sure he's coming for me in the back. got to see if my mother's there. So, of course, she was there. So I'm trying to get myself unaroused so that if I'm spotted, I don't, you know, it was my mother. I said, well, I've got to crawl in under the table. He's going to come to the back window. He's come for me. He's come to take me away. I crawl underneath the table without being caught. And then there's this screech from my sister's bedroom. The naked man appears right against the window in the kitchen. My mother screams. I jump up, bump my head, getting out from under the table. My mother throws her coffee cup through the glass. It all shatters, and the police get called. I'm so excited. He was coming for me. That's proof. He was coming for me. So it turns out later we find that he actually got so close to my sister's screen, and she being a little tramp at 11, she, by the way, was pregnant at 12 and had her first baby at 13, so that tells you a little bit about her. She touched his body through the screen. That's why she screamed. So I guess all three of us were waiting for the naked strangler. I decide I'm going to go have a talk with him the next day. The police are out. They're measuring the footprints. My mother's telling her engulfing story about how close he got to her and blah, 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 blah. I decide to leave. My mother says no. You're not going. I threw a fit. Went running. I said, I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. I made it as far as the Schwarzenegger's house around the corner. And then I sat by their woodshed and contemplated and cried a little too, I think, you know. And then I went back to the front sidewalk and in the front door of our house. And I could hear them arguing out in the backyard about me. They were looking for me. They couldn't find me. Now I was in the bedroom. I wasn't going to tell him I was back. Let him look. They were frantically screaming. And then this argument began with my stepfather and my mother. I thought, oh, shit, September's coming. The naked man's got to get me quick. I don't know what's going to happen. I get so angry that they have not found me. I keep hearing them screaming my name, Shashi, Shashi, where are you? I kick the top bunk bed so hard that the springs of mattress fall on me, trapping me under the bed. And they're all out searching for me. I'm so angry, I'm not going to scream for help. Eventually, I do. All right, my mother says, we're leaving tomorrow. Grandma and Grandpa are coming, and they're going to pick us up, and you're going to go stay with her for a while. We're having some problems here. We'd just been there a couple of weeks. It was a brand new house. So I waited that night. I didn't do the table thing. I just waited at the bedroom peaked my mother was at the window it was a lonely feeling 
So the next day I woke up to screaming. I looked out my window. My stepfather was dragging my mother by the neck through the seated yard. As my grandma and grandpa drove up in their new Rambler's station wagon, bright red, and went to grandma's, and I was thinking, this is awful. This is awful. I would find out a few days later that they captured the naked strangler. And he never did really hurt anyone. But he got hurt very badly trying to escape and was imprisoned again. And that's all I knew. And I thought to myself, well, school starts soon. There'll be gym class. And, you know, Kansas and our family being as inbred as it is, I knew there was a possibility to be a couple frisky cousins roaming about. So I wasn't completely disappointed. And to my surprise, once my sister had her baby at 12, I ended up having an affair with her husband eight years longer than she was married to him. So I'm still in the search of penises. But what I feel from this story is that no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the changes, carry on and a penis is just around the corner. This is Risk. This is one of my all-time favorites by Talking Heads. And we just heard from Shashi Muso that was called The Naked Strangler, beautifully edited by our guy Jeff Barr, who also edited the interstitial that came before it that we call He's Got a Good Dick in His Hands. So, of course, that followed. T.S. Madison, if you've never checked out Maddie's uh, videos, check her out on YouTube at T.S. Madison ATL. Uh, her, her videos of just checking in with people every week or so are just amazing. Before that, Detachable Penis by King Missile. And now I would like to advise you to join Zappos Rewards, Zappos.com's brand new loyalty program. Existing customers will get $15 in Zappos Rewards just for enrolling. Sign up today at zappos.com slash rewards and get free expedited shipping, points to redeem for rewards, and early access to sales. Zappos.com is known for its vast selection of shoes, clothing, bags, accessories, and now Zappos Rewards wants to make sure you earn points every time you shop, 
log in, or leave a product review. Points can be redeemed for more rewards, like the $15 you'll get when you enroll. Visit zappos.com slash rewards to sign up, and you can use your $15 code toward a pair of boots, a new coat, your favorite pair of jeans, or a comfy pair of sneakers. There's no minimum purchase, and nothing's off limits. Join Zappos Rewards by visiting zappos.com slash rewards. Follow the instructions, and you can start earning your rewards today, subject to terms and conditions. And before I tell you all about why you need to get a Lisa mattress, they are giving you guys an amazing offer. $75 off the mattress, plus a $50 Amazon gift card. This offer ends on November 30th, 2016. Do not miss this. Listen, my Lisa mattress has improved my sleep dramatically, dramatically. I could tell you all about the three-layer technology, how it's the most advanced sleep surface known to man, but it won't matter unless you try this mattress. Don't go into a mattress store and lay on a bed for 30 seconds in hopes that it's the right bed. Order your Lisa mattress, and you can sleep on it for 100 nights risk-free. Here's something that should make you feel good, too. For every 10 mattresses that Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter in need. So... Start getting the best night's sleep ever now. Remember, Lisa, that's L-E-E-S-A, gives you a 100-night risk-free trial. Love your mattress or they'll pick it up for free and refund your money. Order now to get that $75 off plus a $50 Amazon gift card when you use our promo code RISK. Remember, that's promo code R-I-S-K at L-E-E-S-A dot com. Now, we're going to have another sandwich of three stories in a row. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Chris Hoffman, an absolutely extraordinary story that he shared at the Mystery Box show in Portland, Oregon. Before that, we're going to hear from Brenda Leonard, a total tearjerker of a story that she shared with us when we were last in Nashville. But before that... We're going to hear from the hilarious Al Jackson. He shared this one at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles. That happens once a month at the Bootleg Theater out there. This one is called Note Taking and Organization. for the polite applause. How about a hand for all the dope stories y'all heard? Yes. Fuck it. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like my whole career, I've been doing stand-up for 10 years, I feel like my whole career, I just feel like a fan that like sneaks backstage. And I'm always like, oh shit, I have to perform. Uh, I decided to tell this story because it's near and dear to my heart. And I just kind of started talking about this. I started comedy in South Florida, in uh, Miami. And I started in black rooms, which is tough, because they set you up to fail. Like the way Beowulf brings you up, it's like, all right, y'all, we're going to bring Al Jackson. He's got a half-hour special. He's got this and that. Clap your hands. Here's how you get brought up in South Florida. The host will do like 50 minutes, and he's killing. And you're like, I'm about to bomb. Like, I'm about to take this. And you go, and the host goes, all right, y'all. 
we got to get this dude out here. Um, listen, y'all know how to act. If you don't like it, just... I didn't book him. So. That's what you go up to. And the gig, uh, this is early in my career, and this gig I'm going to talk about, uh, you have to understand where I was in my career, so this makes sense. At this point, you can kind of take or leave gigs, but I needed this money. I was going to do this show. I was broke as fuck. I was going to do this show. No matter what. I was going to do the show. No matter what happened. I'm doing a show. Do we have that? We got that? This is roof money. This is so rain doesn't hit my head money. Uh, and I did a college in Florida. It was the first time I'd ever been treated really nicely. They put me up at the Westin, uh, which is a big deal, and the show was at the Westin, but there were two things that were kind of weird about this show. First of all, uh, they wanted me to wear a suit, which is fine. I don't care, I needed the money. Second of all, the show was at eight o'clock in the morning, which, <laughs> it's a good time to hear jokes. You, know, you want some, want some dick jokes with those eggs? Uh, I was gonna do the show. I was gonna do the fucking show. I don't care. Uh, so, colleges are weird. Colleges are different because comedy clubs, they're the same anytime you go to a comedy club, because they just really just turn the lights on, bring the waitresses, same thing every time. Colleges are different. Sometimes you do like the University of Colorado, it's already sold out, they give you a check before you go on stage, you kill it for an hour, and they carry you out that bitch like Rudy. And then the next day, you'll be at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. The show's at noon. The mic is on the fucking floor when no bikes stand. People are getting fish sticks, and they're like, just get up and start telling jokes. I'm like, that's not how a show starts. That's what a schizophrenic would do. Uh, I'm not gonna just stand up in the cafeteria and start talking. Uh, so shows are just different. They're crazy. They're just ridiculous. But you do them because uh, colleges pay great money. So I was gonna do the show. So it's like 7.30 in the morning. I got my men's warehouse suit on. And I'm like, college is different. I'm like, sometimes I didn't know how much time they wanted me to do. So I was like, let me look at my contract. Because my old manager told me, always do your time because they won't pay you if you don't do your time. That's the one thing college is. So I was like, I'm going to do my time. And I looked at the contract. And they wanted me to do an hour, which is fine. I could do an hour. But they didn't want me to tell jokes. They wanted me to do an hour speech on note-taking and organization. <laughs> Who could make that up? Like, what comic could make that up? Like this, like, and I read it a couple times, I was like, that doesn't really make sense. But it was like 7.40, you know what I'm saying? It's like 7.40, so I'm like, I used to be a middle school teacher, so I was like, I know like a little bit about this. And I had one of those old school Mac power books, those big gray ones, so I downloaded just from Google, I just took like a screenshot of just like an outline of how to give a speech on note taking in case, in worst case scenario. You know what I'm saying? Worst case scenario I have to do this. So I get that, close my MacBook, and I go down to the bottom, and the show was like in that big grand ballroom that's up at the bottom where people get married, and uh, the doors open to the elevator, and the liaison from the college opens it, like she's standing there, it's like 7.55, she goes, are you Jackson? I go, yeah. She goes, you're late. She takes me to the double doors, throws open the double doors. There are 750 college kids <laughs> in suits, pantsuits, iPads, MacBook Airs, ready to hear this motherfucker <laughs> give a speech on something he's never heard of. 
And I know y'all are a smart crowd and y'all like, y'all are getting ahead of me. Like, well, how'd you get out of it? What's the funny part? Tell us how you get out of it. I didn't get out of it. And it wasn't funny. It was parted like it is right here and I had to walk down and I can just feel college people. Cause they were just like, this dude don't look like a speaker. You know what I'm saying? And so I walked down, I got my MacBook. And here, at least, even if you're gonna bomb up here, you can at least move around and fuck, try and get the crowd going. Like, it was at a podium and it just had one of those like Burger King mics that's like stuck on the thing. So you can't, you're like, you're just behind the podium. Like, this is, I, I got nothing. And I just hope y'all can grasp this. I, I'm like, okay. This is gonna go down. I just gotta bullshit my way out. Like I've taught school five years. I could, I could do this. I could do this. And I, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I put my MacBook on the, uh, on the podium and I go to open it and the battery just dies. Like as I open it, just immediately, it was just like, it was just that gray apple, you know, where you just go, oh shit. But your face can't show that. Your face gotta be like, well, now it's time to start this. I have nothing but a gray apple and I just have to look at that like I'm referring to nothing. And we have to like take this out of like a comedic setting for a second because I don't think like y'all understand like how long 60 minutes is in real time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you'll be like, dude, I fucking waited for you for an hour. Like, what the fuck? But it wasn't, I was like 41 minutes, you know, like 60 minutes, six, zero. You know, like every third year at Thanksgiving, it's your turn to give the Thanksgiving prayer. And that shit's super awkward. And how long is that? 20 Mississippi? <laughs> Think about if you had to give the prayer this year for an hour, only you didn't know what a prayer was. That's where we were. I am bombing and every comic that's down on them stairs right now. And I was like, when you're bombing, it's such a weird thing. Cause I don't sweat on stage at all. And you just start sweating, like sweat from your side and like the back of you, like you're just sweating and you're bombing cause you start stuttering. Then you start trying to go fast and you're like, stop talking so fast. You got to do an hour. So you start trying to stutter. And I was like trying to do shit, like doing my low. Cause like when comics, this is like every comic knows it's like downstairs. When a comic don't have enough time to fill the time, they always ask the audience questions cause that fucking kills time. So you're like, hey, how you doing? Where you from? And that just kills time with the back and forth. And I was trying to do that with the college kids, but they were, <laughs> they weren't giving me shit. I was like, I was like, let's open it up to questions and nothing, no one, like no one said shit. So then I have to awkwardly just pull that back like I didn't ask for help. And I am fucking bombing, bombing. And God bless these college kids. This is not their fault. It was like, they were just confused. It was just like, if I had just, dragged a French film on stage and played it backwards. Like they were like, what is, why are we in here? I, I am bombing so bad that I got hired by this young black dude uh, to do the gig. I'm bombing so bad that he's got this, you know, like that app, that app where you just got the flashing red light on your phone and he's doing like this and fuck, give me the throw slash. Like get the fuck off, get the fuck off. I'm like, nope, he's not gonna pay me. He's not gonna pay me, he's not gonna pay me. I was just thinking about my old manager, like they're not gonna pay you, stay on stage. And I stayed up there for an hour, for real. Not 58, 
not 45. I stayed for an hour and I ate my dick like a G. Like I took, I took my stripping. I didn't run. I fucking took it. I took that shit. And I get off stage and like the dude was in the back. The dude, the young black dude, uh, he had my check. He was so mad. He threw my check on the ground. I needed the money. I went to go get it. And like as I reached to go get it, this like big, like six foot four, like older, like 50 year old white guy, like brushed past me on his way to stage, like so hard. Like if somebody did it to you in a bar, like it would start a fight. Like, I mean, he really aggressively pushed past me to go to the stage and he goes right up on the stage, right behind the podium and starts giving a speech on note-taking and organization. I know. Funny story, kids. The college fucked up and sent me that dude's contract. I was supposed to do 15 minutes of jokes to liven up his boring-ass fucking speech. And instead, I did his shit for him only with zero knowledge because I needed the money. Guys, I've been Al Jackson. Thank y'all so much. Thank y'all, Risk. Love y'all. He did enough work to hang on to his job. As long as times are good, there'll be jobs for fellows who just barely do enough to get by. But to keep a job when the going gets rough, you need to insure your job. Make yourself so valuable your employer can't let you go. my cell phone started to ring. And I thought that that was a little unusual considering this was a brand new cell phone. And only two or three people had had this number. So when the cell phone rang, they said, hello, is this Brenda Leonard? I responded, I said, yes, this is Brenda. I said, who is this? So the gentleman on the other end of the phone said, please stop whatever you're doing and come right now to your babysitters. So I'm thinking that maybe this is some kind of joke. Somebody is trying to play some silly little joke. And I'm demanding some answers. I said, well, who is this? And what's going on? What happened to my baby? He didn't provide any information. He simply said, stop whatever you're doing and come now to the babysitter's house. So at the time, I was in the store with my then-husband. He asked, who was that who called? I said, I can't make heads or tails out of what he said his name was. The only thing he said was, stop whatever you're doing and come now. So I'm going to get out of here and drive over to Mrs. Wright's house right now and see what's going on. He said, well, do you want me to come with you? I said, no, surely it cannot be anything. So I'm going to go pick up the baby, and I'll see you back at the house. He said, okay, fine. So I hurried up, got out of the store, made my purchase, and then I got in the car. And immediately, I then called my mother. I said, mother, I'm not trying to alarm you about anything, but I just got a weird phone call. And I was told, 
come to Ms. Wright's house right now. They didn't provide any other information. They didn't give me any other details about what's going on. They simply said, come now. So my mother said, well, should I meet you over there? I said, no, surely it, it, it can't be anything wrong. I, I don't know. But I'm on my way there now. She said, well, keep me posted. I said, I'll call you as soon as I get there, and I'll let you know exactly what happened. So as I'm driving to my babysitter's house, I have to admit I had prayed a very selfish prayer. And that prayer was, Lord, whatever the problem is, please don't let it be the baby. And that may sound selfish because this was a newborn baby, a six-month-old baby. And my sitter had lived her life. She was a grandmother. She'd been married. She had children. So I said, whatever the problem is, just don't let it be the baby. So I'm driving as fast as I can, keeping within the speed limit, of course, to get to the babysitter's house. And when I arrived, the scene was very grim. I saw the medical examiner's van was there. So I knew somebody was dead, but I didn't know who yet. And on both sides of the condominium complex, I saw people wiping their eyes, crying. I even saw DeKalb County's finest police officers wiping their eyes. That said, whatever I'm about to face, it's surely tragic. And it may not be an old lady that these people are crying about. I parked my car and I got out of the car. And a gentleman walked up to me and said, are you Brenda Leonard? For a moment there, like a bird, I just wanted to fly away. I just, I just wanted to leave. Reluctantly, I said, I am Brenda Leonard. He took my hand and he said to me, lips trembling, he held my hand gently and the only thing he c c c could say was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but your baby is dead. I said, oh, no. No, 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 no. No, God, no, no, not this. Not this. This cannot be true. No, 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 this cannot be true. So then I asked, did my babysitter kill my baby? We had known her forever. She was a part of the family. She had taken care of my other children. She had cared for me when I was pregnant. We loved Miss Wright. She was like part of the family. So I, I, I was puzzled. I was confused, I was hurt, I was angry, I was sad, I was a whole plethora of emotions. I said, could she have killed my baby? He said, no, it was sudden infant death syndrome. Since, I, I, for a moment, I, I couldn't even register what he said. 
He said it's known as crib death. It's what happens is when you put newborn babies to sleep, they simply never wake up. He said it was peaceful. There was no trauma. He said we did a thorough investigation and we found no fault in her care. In fact, there was no stress, no trauma, no suffering with this infant baby. It was a peaceful departure. So I asked him, can I please see Daniel one last time? And he pleaded with me. He said, please remember Daniel the last time you saw him. So I started to think back to that morning, which was the last time I saw him. When I woke up that morning, it was like any other normal morning if you have four small children running around the house. It is pandemonium trying to get everybody dressed and out of the house with two shoes on, two socks on, and everybody is dressed. So that was my typical morning, getting my little ones ready, getting myself ready, and of course the baby. But something about that morning felt so different. But I, I couldn't put my finger on what is so different about this morning? What is so different about this day? So as I was getting everybody out of the house and into the car, I started just to double check, triple check, make sure I wasn't forgetting anything because something inside of me said something feels different. I don't know what it is. I made sure I had keys, purse, diaper bag, baby bag, toys, baby food, everything. But something was different. So as I dropped off the little ones, I'm then not driving to the babysitters with Daniel. I get to her house, I park the car, I get him out, and I place the car carrier right here on the floor, on the concrete. And then I'm in the car getting toys and shoes and socks and things that had fallen. And as I turned around to pick up the carrier, his eyes were glued on me. I paused for a moment and I said, what, what, what are you trying to tell me? What are you saying? What, what, what are you trying to tell me? Something is wrong and I didn't know what it was that morning. So as I, as I took him out of the carrier, I picked him up and I held him and his hand started to embrace my cheek and I said, what? What are, you, what are you saying? I can't figure it out, but what are you telling me? So as I get closer to Mrs. Wright's door, I tell her, Miss Wright, I don't know what's wrong, but, but maybe I should just cancel the day and go back home with Daniel and just spend the day with him. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like something is weird, but I can't figure it out. She said, girl, give me that baby and get, you're overreacting, there isn't anything wrong. I said, I don't know, I just, I don't know. Something just doesn't feel right. So we just went down the list and we started chatting about the things of the day. And I took Daniel one last time and I held him so close to my heart and I kissed him and he rubbed his 
fingers across my cheek as if he was saying, Mommy, goodbye. And I turned him over to Miss Wright. And I embraced her and I said, I'll see you later. She said, goodbye. And I left for the day. So when he told me, please remember him the last time you saw him, that's what I remember. I remember holding him so close. I remember his hands touching my cheek. I remember kissing him. I remember the sun being bright, the sky being blue. It was such a beautiful day. That's what I remembered. So as I'm continuing talking about what happened in the series of events that happened with Miss Wright, immediately out of her condo, I saw a man with a small bundle wrapped in Daniel's blanket. And he put the infant in the medical examiner's van. And I asked, is that my baby? Is that my baby? He said, yes. And I knew then it was the end and it was the beginning of a whole new life for me. Thank you so much. One grain of sand One grain of sand In an old world One grain of sand One little boy One little girl One grain of sand One drop of water In the deep blue sea One grain of sand One little you One little me I was smoking weed on the couch yeah. one night with my, my boy wife when it got real. I asked her, do you ever want to have sex with me again? And she didn't really hesitate that long and she said, not really. I'm not sure if I like my cocks anymore. And usually I like, I like how direct she is, but at this point I thought maybe it'd have been nice if she fought for it a little bit. So, you know, my chin lowers and my big broad chest of a family man kind of collapses and I let out this long sigh. And I say, well, you mind if I cruise around some parties and try to find a girl I can see once a week? Intimacy is kind of important to me. She says, okay, as long as I get to meet her. 
So I go online, you know, and I like sign up for Sacred Tantra Club and, you know, Six Positive and the Tantra, whatever. And uh, I started getting emails and they're like, oh my God, parties. And so I see the erotic ball pops up and I'm like, that's interesting. I'm thinking like a Mardi Gras or something like that, but it, there's a questionnaire. So I fill out the questionnaire, something about, I don't know, my erotic awakening, and I hit send and I forget about it. A couple weeks goes by. And I get a response. I'm like accepted to this party. Awesome. Gives me the address. So, you know, the night of the show, I, I root around. I find my leathers from high school and I put on my leather jacket, my leather pants and my T-shirt and I spike my hair and I go out the front door. And I drive up to this place and it's like this big Grange Hall in North Portland. It's just got an address and there's no sign. There's no balloons. But there's this long line, like sneaking up the alley back behind this place. So I finally get in, and I look, at, and it's just like this huge dance floor, and it's like rocking DJ and all these people in their costumes and their slinky little thing. And I don't even think I saw a bra in the whole place. And I look over in the corner, and there's like the stripper pole. Of course, this is Portland. And then there's this enclosed area, like about the size of six phone booths, with these oval slots with fabric and a little slot. I later find out it's called the feel-out booth. You know, like. People go inside and you can feel my... Anyways, so I go downstairs and it's covered with futons and there's three people having live sex in front of everybody. And I realize this is not a Mardi Gras party. This is a private curated gig. So with a big grin, I kind of like, you know, I kind of like this vibe. It reminds me of being in my punk rock band and I'm like playing bass guitar and looking out of the mosh pit with people stage diving and all this action going on. And I think about the DJs and the after-hours clubs and the pimps and the hookers and all this stuff packed into these underground basements, and I realized, God, have I been sleeping in this 20-year marriage. So I go back upstairs, and I look out over the dance floor, and there's this belly dancer girl just, you know, with her little hip scarf and little bustier thing, and just, oh, my God. And I look over to this side, and there's, like, this lederhosen-clad woman with these heaving, like ice cream scoop boobs just writhing to the music and I'm like I'm gonna call her Helga anyways so <laughs> so I dance over closer to her and I realize her eyes are closed and I like look down at that vertigo cleavage and I almost lose my fucking balance and I wander around behind her and I look at this junk in the trunk Robert Crumb big fat ass clad in these like leather shorts and these telephone pole legs and the white stockings and the clogs and I look back up and there's that little triangle of leather and where you want to stick your finger up there and just see if she's got any underwear on and then oh my god so the the blonde ponytail sticking out from the back I want to just run at her from behind and grab hold and just push her off a cliff and jump on like a dragon in the avatar movie and just ride her down into the valley and up into the heavens god what a woman but I couldn't get her attention, so I'm like... <laughs> so I go over and play in the stripper pole, and then I go into the feel-out booth, and I like pull my pants down and like let people feel my ass and like spank me and stuff. And so I finally find somebody to dance with. So this woman dances with me for a little while, and we're on the dance floor, and she finally leans like, and I'm like, you want to go downstairs and watch people fuck? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so we go downstairs and we're like holding hands and leaning against a wall and after the novelty wore up it's actually kind of sweet you know you're just kind of looking at like 
you know, like listening to like this harmony of this women in their bliss just kind of create this siren song of like serenity and it's like, God, this is beautiful. So she eventually said, you know, I got to get going. So I stood up and gave her a hug and I kind of sat back down and like steeped in that for a minute. And I eventually looked around and there's like, everybody's clearing out. So I go back upstairs and the dance floor is empty except for two people. And I'm like looking and like, oh my God, one of them's Helga. <laughs> and some guy. So I stand there and check in with my instigator, you know, like, okay, what are my odds? And I say, fuck it. So I just go walking up to her and I say to the dude, excuse me. And I look at her and I say, do you want to feel me out in the feel out booth? And she looks at him like, do you know this guy? And she says to me, okay. I'm like, awesome. So I turn around, I get about halfway there, and I turn back around, and she's still talking to the guy, and I say, hey. So she looks at me, and she points at me, and she says, get in there, take your clothes off, and I'll be there in a second. So I snake my way into the opening of the feel-out booth, and in the feel-out booth is the belly dancer making out with two other chicks. And one of them's got this like purple hair sticking out like this, and the other one's this tall Grace Jones, like gorgeous, like black, shiny skin woman. And I'm like, whatever, you know. So I take my clothes off. <laughs> and I'm standing there waiting for Helga's arm to come through the slot, you know. So, so her arm comes through the slot, and I'm like, oh. And she's touching me. And then her hand like runs up one side of my body. And then she like wraps her hands and like runs her fingers down the middle of my spine. Like, and then one hand disappears and it comes back in a lower slot and it's like running up the inside of my leg. And then she starts drifting past my cock. And then she like lifts my cock with this butterfly wing little touching thing and oh my god I'm like <laughs> and my cock gets so hard I think I'm going to burst a blood vessel <laughs> and she's like doing this little extruded thing that is just so exquisite and I lean into one of the openings I just come in here and she's like I can't she just come in here I don't know if I can or not well then just come over by the door I like, okay so I turn to go over by the door, and I'm ambushed by this belly dancer. He's like, mouth is on me, and his tongue is down my throat. And I realize the, the, the razor stubble, and I get a little, this is a dude. <laughs> and so I, I got shit to do, just a second, you know? So, so, so Helga appears at the door, and I've got her, I've locked eyes with her, so okay. And I'm looking at Helga with like, for any sign of like resistance. So I stick two of my fingers down between her breast and the front of that leather bustier, and I'm just running them back and forth and looking right at her, and she's like arching her back into me, and it's like, oh God, yeah. So I like pull that fucking thing down, and like the most beautiful breast that I've ever seen in my entire life. And just as I'm about to move towards that thing, there's a mouth on my cock. And I look down, and it's like, shit! <laughs> And I'm like, how did there get to be a cock mouth on my cock? And is that okay with me? <laughs> so I think to myself, well, first of all, I've never had a man's mouth on my cock before. 
and let me roll this big back. So, I, okay, I looked at him across the dance floor for a while and maybe saw me staring at me. And, well, there's that time when I danced past him and I go, hey, hi. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, I didn't tell him to fuck off when he kissed me, so I guess this is okay. So he grabs my cock and starts wringing it like a dish rag, and Helga disappears somewhere, and I am like, oh my god, this is not going to be this girly little blowjob. This is going to be a man's cock sucking. <laughs> so I, my knees go, and I'm like on my back on the floor, and he starts pulling on my cock like he's ripping it out of the ground by the roots. And then... It changes this, like, rattle can wrist action, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm up on this plateau of, like, I can't believe this. this is amazing. <laughs> but what's so weird is I started thinking about the last time I wanted to have sex with my wife. And, you know, it, it was always kind of sad because she would hide from me. Like, where are you? I can't feel you. You know, like... I restored this house for us. You know, I'm playing it by the book. I mean, why do you leave me up here trying to climb through all this barbed wire to try to find you? I look at this belly dancer, you know, his hip scarf and his hair and his dancing and his fucking fully expressed erotic presence right in front of me, modeling for me, like, what does a big sexy encounter feel like? And his skull descends down. And my hard cock extrudes itself deep down his throat. And the sound of like a lion trying to clear a hairball just comes out of his mouth. <laughs> All the way down till his teeth are cutting into my pelvis and he just like lingers there and I'm like, oh my God, this thing is amazing. And then he pulls his mouth up and as my cock clears his mouth, Strings of mucus hang down from his upper lip, and he looks at me, and I trusted him. And he takes one hand out, and he puts it on my shoulder, and he drives me down and pins me down against the ground. And I just, like, let go. I don't care. I let go of it all, all the way down my spine. And he takes his other hand and he grabs that mucus-covered cock and he starts pounding me. <clears throat> like relentless, like a big man with a, driving in a railroad spike with a sledgehammer. He's just like pounding on me. He's pounding on me and I just start trying to slow it down with my breathing. And as I'm slowing it down with my breathing, the sound of my voice starts dropping in my throat. And it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And as he continues, upon, the, the, the involuntary contractions start to show up in the front of my, all the way down the front of my body. And I start to tense up and I start to just resist the feeling. Because if I come now, I'm, by God, I'm going to tear a groin muscle. <laughs> So it finally just takes over me, and I just jackknife forward, and I feel like there's a wrestler on me trying to pin me down for the final count, and I let go of this massive load of cum which lofts through the air over my chest and lands in my left eye. <laughs> and I am blinded while he gives me four more big 
pumps on my cock, like, oh my fucking God! And he's gone. So I, I fumble around for a t-shirt, and I like wipe my face off and my bare chest, and I look around, and everybody's gone. And it's quiet. And this peace comes over me, and there's no shame. I actually feel transformed. And I think about all of the energy that I've put into calling women out of their shadow to like meet me in the middle at some place of intimacy so I could feel myself and so I could validate my existence only to realize that I have never surrendered to somebody else's erotic expression. I have never allowed somebody to call me out of the shadows. I have never had the courage to reflect back to somebody the beauty of their erotic presentation to me. And to wrap that up in my own creative expression and give it back to them so they know that I felt every second of it. So they can feel themselves and they could validate their existence. So as a 60-year-old man, I stand here, and I look back that eight years to that erotic encounter, and I know it was right then that I decided that no matter where I am on my journey to integrate my determined creative engineer with my wild erotic expression, that I am good enough for who I am, and the world is a better place if I stop fighting for my freedom and live as a man who is already free. Train and I 
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Gary Clark Jr. behind me now. We just heard an amazing story from Chris Hoffman at the Mystery Box Show in Portland, Oregon. You can find them at mysteryboxshow.com. Before that, a little something by Odetta. And before that, Brenda Leonard shared that beautiful story about losing her baby. Uh, That was at our Nashville Risk Show from a couple months ago. For that, a little interstitial by Jeff Barr. Take the money and run, we call it. And before that, a little something from Al Jackson at our monthly Risk Live show at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. Hey, thanks again to Sock Club for sponsoring today's episode. Sock Club provides a little gift with a big impact that's sure to make you look like an expert gift giver. Each package includes quality American-made socks, a customizable gift message, and a printable membership certificate, so all you last-minute shoppers are covered, too. Just for listeners of Risk, Sock Club is offering 15% off subscriptions, so go to SockClub.com and use the code RISK at the checkout. Give Sock Club this holiday season. And you're probably wondering where Risk is coming next. Well, on December 14th, we are back at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Hey, if you live in New York, come on out to our Bell House shows. Those are so wonderful. We've got so many great people who do the show. The Bell House is just a wonderful venue. And there's nothing like seeing Risk live. So December 14th, we are at the Bell House in Brooklyn. December 15th, we're in Detroit. Detroit, Michigan. Come on out, Detroit. You can find out all this information on our tour pages at risk-show.com slash tour. On December 16th, we're in Milwaukee. We'll be at Collectivo Coffee there in Milwaukee. Come on out, December 16th, folks in Milwaukee. On December 17th, we will be in Los Angeles again there at the Bootleg Theater. That should be a great night. And January 25th, we're back at the Bell House again. January 27th, we are in San Francisco at the Swedish American Hall. That's going to be a big show. A lot of big names on our San Francisco show on January 27th. And on February 17th, we're back in Carborough, North Carolina. We're still taking pitches for that one. The theme that night is what? And uh, you can pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. And whenever you're wondering where we're coming next, go to risk-show.com slash tour. And if you don't already know, we teach storytelling too. Now, what is there to gain from storytelling training? Well, some people take storytelling workshops just to kind of 
look through their memories, you know, uh, like journaling, kind of exploring what it is that they might want to share about. Other people want to get over shyness and learn how to communicate more compellingly. Business people take storytelling workshops in order to learn how to persuade and to speak in a more human and emotional way that holds people's attention and convinces people to come along on a certain mission. At thestorystudio.org, we teach video courses that you can take in your own time or one-on-one training over Skype or our in-person workshops where you can try stories out with other people, or of course, our corporate workshops where we can come to your staff to work with you on stories that help to spread the word about what it is that you do. All of that can be found at thestorystudio.org. And there's plenty of other ways to get involved with Risk itself. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at Risk Show. Comment on the show at iTunes or on the comments pages, the the listen pages for each episode on our site. Pitch us your stories. We are always taking pitches, no matter where you are in the world, at riskdeshow.com slash submissions. And finally, spread the word. We have relied since 2009 on people spreading the word about how wonderful this show is. Nothing is more important to us than that that word of mouth, share the show with your friends. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.